So my name is Robert Rudd. Uh, I'm the director of Impact Canada Ministries. My wife Jeanette and I have been with Impact Canada for almost five years, serving with Alberta until we moved to Wall Time uh, just this last fall. Uh, previously, we served with a mission called Good Seed International. And uh, this year, actually, we'll be celebrating 20 years of marriage. And uh, we recently, just last year, celebrated 10 years of serving full-time in missions where we uh, packed up my tools, left our full-time jobs and went into full-time missions. Prior to this, I ran a mechanical business with my dad and I was electrician refrigeration mechanic. My wife worked as an accountant before becoming a full-time mom and now she's a full-time homeschooler for our children. So uh, Jeanette also see, oversees the bookkeeping at uh, Impact Canada. And let me just ask you, as we transition into the message now, I want to ask you, what is it that actually pleases God? Think about that for a minute. What is it that pleases God? Is it just going out into missions? Is it just going out and serving as a pastor? No. You know, the writer of Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we know, too, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So whether you're stepping out as a full-time missionary or working full-time in the secular force or staying home, taking care of your family, we all need to exercise faith in God, no matter where he's placed us. We cannot live independently of our creator. We are dependent on him for all things. That is why God delights as we approach him each and every day, fully trusting in him for our needs. And no matter where God has placed you, he has called every one of us to be his ambassador. Paul writes in Corinthians that it's, it's though, as though God were making an appeal through us. Think about that for a moment. God is making his appeal to a lost and dying world through you. He, we all want to have a part of that, don't we? At least that should be our goal if we're truly desiring to fulfill that mandate to be a witness to all that we encounter in our world. But we need to be clear though, this mandate, again, it's not just for professionals, if you will. I, we're not professionals, we're all believers. And we need to see that clearly. Everyone is considered to be an ambassador. And it's something we're to do as a lifelong job assignment. Okay, next slide. And our motivation should be to bring God glory. And at the end of the race, we want to hear that, those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? Imagine what it would be like to hear that. Imagine even further. What if the things that you are doing to share your faith and be a witness here made the creator God of the universe so pleased with you that he marveled at you. Imagine God being so delighted that he would want to tell everyone about you. I'd like that question to be in the front of our minds as we approach our passage this morning. If you open your Bibles and turn with me to Luke uh, chapter 7, verse 2. Let me give you some context. This passage is about a centurion's beloved servant who is sick and he's about to die. Now the centurion, he was, a, he, he was a Roman. He was a Gentile. 
And he was a, a, a prominent leader in the community. And he goes on, he sends some leaders to see if Jesus would save the life of his servant here. So let me just pick up here in verse 2 of chapter 7 in Luke. It says, A centurion's servant who was highly valued by him was sick and was about to die. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting to him that he save the life of his servant. This centurion had faith in Jesus. And then it goes on to say in verse 4 and 5, it says, And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy, we're talking about the centurion, for, to you, uh, for you to, ha uh, to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Let's just pause here for a moment. So this centurion was a man of status. He had power. And, but he values even those who serve him. He had a value for those that served him. He cared for the people in his community. So by this we see, what would please God? Well, it would please God if by faith, and if you want, on the back of your uh, bulletins, there's uh, some sermon notes here. But by faith, we would value people and have compassion. See people for who they are and what they do. Recognize that they're created in the image of God. They're, we're creative. We're industrious. We strive for purpose and meaning in our lives, don't we? But we've got to realize, too, that all people are sick and dying spiritually. Life is 100% fatal. Without Jesus, people are going to a Christless eternity. This should move us to our core. It should prompt us to plead earnestly with Jesus to save our friends, our family, our co-workers. See, valuing people, valuing people and having compassion on them also involves a lot of commitment. It involves a lot of time logged with the unsaved and building relationships and trust with them. You know, people know if we're trying to sell Christianity, if we're just dropping off tracks and moving on and just wanting them to convert, people can see right through that. We've got to invest time. But it's more difficult than it sounds, isn't it? It's not easy to get involved with the chaos that so often reigns in the homes and the lives and relationships of the godless homes that are out there. It's a dark world without the Lord. Logging time with unbelievers can often mean listening to hours and hours of empty conversation. I wonder how much empty conversation Jesus had to listen to. You know, really, when it comes to the unsaved, they don't have much to talk about, do they? Their music is even devoid of substance. It's often reduced to rants and meaningless mantras. But you know, when it comes to indiscriminate love and compassion without condition, no strings attached, that's what God uses to soften the hearts of people to draw him to himself. So coming back to our message, Jesus responds to these centurions, the centurions' messengers. And in verse 6, he said he was heading towards the man's house. But as he got closer, the centurion friend sent out friends with a message. And he says this, he says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but listen to what he says, say the word and let my servant be healed. You know, this centurion, a man of power and status and wealth, he had a humble view of himself. But at the same time, he fully trusted that Jesus could save his servant. He had faith in the right object, Jesus, God 
himself. Well, what do we see by this? We can see that God would be pleased if by faith we are humble and trust God. You know, when it comes down to it, you and I, we are not worthy to be a part of what God is doing to save souls. Whether you're young or you're old, whether you're an influential leader or someone who serves, whether you're a Bible scholar or just someone beginning to learn about the Bible, none of us are up to that task. We cannot presume to do anything but ask Jesus to say the word on behalf of our unsaved friends that they might be healed. The scripture says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Faith requires a spirit of humility, acknowledging that as ambassadors, we need the Lord for every step. Specifically, we want to believe and we don't want to doubt that God is good at opening doors for us. God delights in nudging people in the direction of believers who are prepared and ready to share the gospel. This really shouldn't be a surprise, really, for God. Desires that all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. You know, the scriptures often use a metaphor of an open door to convey the idea of an opportunity that makes for sharing the gospel possible. The Apostle Paul, for example, stated, uh, asked the Colossian believers to pray specifically that God may open a door for his message. And in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul gave an account of when he went to Troas preaching the gospel. He says, the Lord has opened a door for me. God is good at opening doors. But we must be intentional to look for those doors. Look for those doors of opportunity. We need to be careful that we're not so consumed with our own lives and our own agendas and our own schedules of the day that we don't slow down and allow God to you know, interrupt our lives. Actually, interruptions are often interventions by God. I've learned that from some of our co-workers there. She's teaching us that. We've got to slow down and see the people around us that cross our paths with us each and every day. You know... Think of the drive-through attendant that you see often, or that cashier at the gas station, or the grocery store. You can develop relationships with those people. Be intentional about where you get coffee, and just ask that person daily, how are you doing? How is your life? How is your family? And you get to know them. You can be intentional about the people that you interact with every day. The restaurant server, the custodians. Are your conversations seasoned with salt? Are you drawing out that flavor of Christ? Or are you so distant and distracted, and maybe even disrespectful, that you're limiting and closing those doors of opportunity? How you communicate with your world will determine the doors of opportunity you will get. God is good at opening doors. He's on our side when it comes to getting opportunities. And he wants to do this for us. But we need to be humble. So the centurion goes on to say, coming back to our passage in verse 8. He says, For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion was certain that just as he had authority over his soldiers, Jesus had authority over sin and death. 
The centurion also had influence over people and things. He obviously had resources and the means and opportunities at his disposal. And if any one of these things could contribute to the life of his beloved servant, he said, I will put anything to use to save my friend. Look at what we learn here. We see that it would please God if by faith we'd carefully look at what God has given each and every one of us and put it to use for the purpose of bringing God, our people, to salvation. So what has God already given us? Well, most importantly, he's given us his word, right? Any one of us, by the Holy Spirit, can rely on this alone to change the lives and the hearts of people in a miraculous way. But there are practical things as well that God has given to each of us that are, in fact, what God wants us to use to connect us with people to further the gospel. He wants us to be good stewards of what he's given us, specifically to us. I'm talking about the resources that are not always the same among us. This very much applies to getting opportunities for sharing the gospel. Jesus said, if you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. So everything we have been given comes down to stewardship. Jesus wants to consider, how can we use our home, our job, our school, our time, our church, our hobbies, our service in the community? Our homes can be effective tools of outreach with hospitality, especially if you have kids. You can use your church, Sunday school, small groups. I know you guys, I think you have an Awana program here, don't you? Yeah, I think. Oh, I don't know. But if you do have a kids program, you know, or some sort. Offer something for the parents so they don't just drop them off, that they can be reached too. There's so many things. Backyard clubs. You know, how are you serving in the community? You know, one of the things my wife and I did is we tried to not just put our kids in just, just Christian activities. Get involved with the community. Get involved with public things. Volunteer at the fire department. You know, when my kids, we went and joined Junior Forest Wardens, and we're doing this hike, and my son's like, man, I feel like Moses in the desert. And the kid's like, Moses, who's that? Right? And the kids just start connecting, right? We've got to be connecting. There's so many things that we can do with the, the families and, and the people and the, uh, the things that we have. I know there's crisis pregnancy care centers. There's all sorts of things that you can do to get involved with the community. How can you use your business, your job, your school? Let me just challenge you with this. One of the probably the most precious things that we do all have is time. How do we use our time? You know, I can remember Jeanette and I saying, we want opportunities, we want to do studies, but Lord, we're not getting them. We're not seeing any of these open doors that you're talking about. And then the Lord says, well, look at your schedule. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you're doing this. And there was nothing there. So we, we prayerfully, we said, okay, we're going to open up this day, and we're going to let you fill it, Lord. And then we had some ideas of how we were going to fill that schedule. We're like, okay, it's going to be this person. And God will often take someone, and it was actually the person I liked the least, <laughs> And God fills us with an opportunity to develop a relationship with them and invite them into our home on that day of the week. Our time. How are we spending our time? You know, these, this is a question of stewardship. How can we use what God has already given us?
This centurion was willing to use whatever it took to save the life of his servant. And how does Jesus respond? Look at this, verse 9. When he heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, the almighty creator God, saw what was happening in this heart of this Gentile Roman. And he marveled at him. You know that point where your teacher calls you up and, and says, this guy did a good job. And the, and the feeling that that would have been like? Could you imagine Jesus? I haven't seen faith like this anywhere. You and I aren't unlike this centurion. We want to take steps of faith that will please God and might even make him marvel at us. And what happens next in verse 10? It says, and those who had been sent returned to the home and they found the servant well. In Matthew's account of this event, we learn that Jesus told the centurion, go as you have believed, let it be done for you. And the centurion simply took Jesus at his word. That's what faith is, taking Jesus at his word. We put a lot of stuff around Jesus' faith, uh, like what faith is, and we make a feeling out of it, or we quantify it. No, it's simply, do you believe God and take him at his word? That's the essence of faith. And he didn't know exactly what Jesus done, but he just believed him and went back home to find his servant well. So what do we learn by this? The last thing is, by faith, we want to surrender the outcome. Surrendering the outcome <clears throat> to the Lord with those people that God has brought into our life is not always easy either. But might I encourage you to draw peace from the fact that God's heart is that no one would perish. Next slide. But people would change their mind and put their trust in him. It's something that each person must do on their own. We can and should be appealing to others to be reconciled with Christ, but we must keep in our minds that we cannot change the hearts of man, nor should we try. So what does surrendering the outcome mean? Well, it means being okay with failure. One of my co-workers said, if you're going to become a fisher of men, you've got to get used to drowning some worms. <laughs> I think that the only way we can truly surrender the outcome even in the midst of those tough times of failure, is to change our perspective and redefine what success looks like in God's eyes. We need to remember that God has called us to be faithful ambassadors to the lost and dying. He's not looking for successful men and women. He's looking for faithful ones. The scripture says this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ, as stewards of this mysterious, the mysteries of, the, of God, that's the gospel, and moreover, it should be, it is required that steward, of stewards that they be found, what? Faithful. So we learn from this passage that we just read. A faith that marvels is one that values people. One that has compassion. A faith that is humble and trusts in God. A faith that offers and is a steward with everything that we are given. And then we surrender the outcome. Let's pray. Father God.
as ambassadors, we desire to be good stewards with your gospel. Lord, help us to have a faith that can marvel you. Lord, we, we want to have a heart that values people and compassion. Help us to be humble. Help us to trust in you and, and not do this work that you've called us to do on our own. Lord, you've given each one of us so many blessings. Help us to be good stewards with those blessings. And Lord, we trust that you will do the work as we are faithful with what you've given to us. Father, we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.